High-performance computing and AI is being used to positively transform society and mitigate climate change. KO Data's 100% renewably powered data centres support the mission-critical workloads of life sciences, biotech and AI startups in Cambridge. Find out how we can reduce your digital carbon footprint at kodata.com slash contact. KO Data, proud to sponsor the Cambridge Tech Podcast. Welcome to the Cambridge Tech Podcast, talking all things technology from the heart of the UK's tech capital. Here are your hosts, Faye Holland and James Parton. Hi, I'm Faye. And I'm James. So, Faye, how has your week been? Well, I'm slightly traumatised. I feel I say that quite often. I'm slightly traumatised because it's the end of the month. I mean, like, how did that even happen? It's the end of dry January, right? So, uh... (laughs) Well, I don't know. I might extend it. I've been quite good, really. I can add to my dry personality and dry sense of humor and just stay dry <laughs> longer than january have you stuck to your easy resolution for the month of january do you know what i know it's a whole year and i yeah, yeah i'm definitely and actually people are starting playing it back to me so it is good i, good. I think it, i think it does work work smarter right yes so anyway other than being traumatized it's the end of january it's been been a good week again i was asked by cambridge Indy to write an article on how companies should approach award submissions. So I did a typical fay don't hold anything back explanation on what, there's even a section, what really gets my goat. So you, <laughs> you'll like that one. Um, so that's that went out last week and we'll share it on social this week. And it'd be really interesting. What are other people's views? You know, we, both of us, do a lot of awards and competitions and judging and, and sit through them. So, you know, actually, I think that between us, we can really help companies get a little bit better at it. You're not trying to create another more work for us, are you? No, no, because it's about being easy. Remember, James? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, easy. Um, Then what else? So we've had a couple of really good pieces. I think I I suggested these were coming up. So Peter Cowley was in The Times, which was really good promoting his book that's coming out in April. Impulse, we had one of their cohort from last year, Dr. Cyan Williams. She works in a fashion tech company called Radiant Matter. Really interesting. And they were featured the other day on Bloomberg's Daybreak program as well. Of course, one of my highlights is going to be going to the Trinity Bradfield Prize, which we're going to talk about in today's episode. I sat next to podcast fan Mark Tooley from SolidWorks. Do you know Mark? Of course I know Mark, yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah, I sat next to him and it was great. They were both like the two two of them going, oh my goodness, it's you. And I'm like, yeah, it's me. So that was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> I, had so- similar, I had a similar incident today, actually. I was over on the West Campus, you know, in the West Hub over at the university. And uh, I was having a coffee in the cafe and someone double took and came over to me and goes, you James from the podcast. Oh my God, I've met Faye and now I've met you. It's so weird, isn't it? It's like, oh. Yeah. And I, yeah. I even tried and changed my hairstyle and that didn't make any difference. Everyone still recognised me, but there you go. So back to the Trinity Bradfield Prize. I, I expect that took up a lot of your week. Yeah, I have been doing other things this week, but uh, 
as you can probably imagine, my head is just swimming with Trinity Bradfield Price stuff. Uh, so it has dominated the week. So just before we get into the detail of that, let's let's dive straight into this week's uh, tech news. Why don't we start with news from the University of Cambridge? So uh, Dermot O'Brien has been appointed as the University of Cambridge's new Pro Vice Chancellor for Innovation to succeed Professor Andy Neely, whose term of office finishes at the end of February. Dermot O'Brien is currently the Chief Executive for Cambridge Enterprise, the university's commercialisation arm, which supports academics, researchers, staff and students in achieving knowledge transfer and research impact. Regular listeners will remember that we, we talked to Dermot actually in episode 56, along with Tabitha. And coincidentally, it's nearly a year since we actually had Andy Neely on the podcast. So one could say it's good timing for an update. Indeed. And we, we might have to let him get his feet under the table a little bit first. <laughs> or just go and pounce on him. Who knows? Yeah, definitely. We, we should definitely try and get him back on. But yes, congratulations to Dermot. Great news. So we all always like to cover good news on the podcast. But the reality is, as someone said to me earlier this week, it's cold out there. This applies to a number of Cambridge companies whose shares have hit new 52-week lows. These companies include the likes of Bango, Cerium, Aracor and Zar. However, there is positive news. A notable achiever has been IQ Geo, whose stock zoomed to 333 pence by January the 19th, having been at a 52-week low of 198 pence on March the 22nd last year. So I think partially it's the its ability to keep winning landmark contracts in the US, and it just goes to show how things do turn round. Mm, that is good news. So Cambridge Superchip Architect Arm have joined the Black Talent and Leadership Programme as its first consortium member. The Be The Change initiative addresses the underrepresentation of black talent in STEM and hopes to attract black talent seeking to develop their deep tech skills and explore career opportunities. That's great. And that's a, an initiative led by Homerton Changemakers and Cambridge Wireless and Synergy Solutions and a few other organisations. And we missed one piece of news last week. I think that's because I left you to do it on your own. So I shall, I shall hold you wholly responsible for that. I can't be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> or, or the fact that I just didn't actually share that piece of news. It was Hutton Bio. They have created and produced a biofuel that's really going to contribute to decarbonisation. Really interesting company. Company and they've raised £2.25 million from the UK's Clean Growth Fund. They were a top 21 last year, so I'm super pleased for them that they're, they're really starting to ramp up and they're actually coming on the podcast in the next couple of months. So watch your space on them. And that's it for the news. So let's move on to today's episode, which we recorded at this week's Trinity Bradfield Prize. <laughs> So, James, it's 50 episodes, 50, since we last covered the Trinity Bradfield Prize. Is it? Yes, because this is episode 72. Wow. So, yeah, 50 episodes ago. Doesn't time fly? It certainly does. And you're going to interview me, right? This is what's going to happen for the next couple of minutes. Yes. I will, I will make it a very quick couple of minutes for, for everybody. Because <laughs> I'm a very dull interviewee. No, not at all. Anyway, we're sitting here in the collab space. Um, yeah, apologies maybe, for the noise. Yeah, there may be a little... It's, yeah. it's like me walking around in my heels the other yeah. week and everyone just glared at me for all the noise. So. If you can hear background noise, normally we record in the auditorium, but obviously we're using the auditorium for the finals. So... It is a bit noisy outside, so apologies in advance. But it's good it's noisy because everyone's here ready to hear all the presentations. So tell us a little bit about the competition for those that didn't listen in 12 months ago. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's grown into one of the biggest competitions running across the University of Cambridge, covering technology and life science. And actually, I think that's its strength because we're deliberately broad. We want to hear about any new ideas, new technologies, breakthrough innovation. I think that's what makes it really interesting. As, and as we've seen again tonight, just such a broad range of different ideas. It makes it really interesting. Before we start talking about a few of those, let's talk about some of our previous winners of the prize. So you had Daniel Bull, Mark Carrington, Abiel Marr from last year. We've had Molly on. What updates have you had from those? How are they getting on? Yeah, I mean, well, regular listeners will know a few of them actually have been on the podcast, which is great. We also see the winners um, participating in other competitions around Cambridge. So I think Molly, Mark and Abiel as well, actually, have all participated in the Chris Abel postdoc competition, which again, we've covered uh, on the podcast. So go back and check those episodes out. Mark is developing his technology well. Molly as well is making really good progress. A bill, I think, really stands out from the commercialization perspective. He is just relentless. Uh, if anyone follows him on LinkedIn, he is always presenting, either going to visit potential customers or presenting at conferences. And uh, it was really nice that we we actually ran the first uh, trial of his technology at the Bradfield Centre. So uh, he was recycling our food waste for a week here at the Bradfield Centre. No, he's, he's great. Good, a very good success story. So um, your judges this year, who, who, who are they? Yeah, so uh, an amazing lineup of judges, uh, chaired by Sir Greg Winter, who needs no introduction, but Nobel Prize winner and a previous master of Trinity College. Kerry Baldwin of IQ Capital and Anne Debris of Cambridge Enterprise, representing the kind of funding side of things. And then we've got two entrepreneurs um, with software backgrounds and hardware backgrounds, John Yeomans and Robert Swan. Okay, great. And so how involved are they in the, is it just this evening or do they get to see the, the submissions beforehand? What's the judging process like? End to end, it's, it's almost an all round year process now. The competition typically kicks off in planning stage around springtime. Um, marketing starts late summer and through the kind of summer and September time period. I typically, with Max, get the long list down to a, a short list. The judges then come in at that stage and we whittle down typically from about 25 down to around about eight to 10 companies to come and present at the final. And then, of course, they're here tonight for the final judging as well. Yeah, and I think one thing to note as well is a lot of these companies are really early stage, so they don't really have that external profile. So they're literally judging what is on the piece of paper in advance and the pitch tonight. Yeah, that's a good point, because not only does the variety of technology and idea add complexity, but the, there's different levels of maturity. Some companies are pretty much just ideas on a piece of paper. Others are actually at the stage where they're looking to raise money or, or in fact have raised money. There's quite a spectrum. Yeah, and a spectrum of tech as well. We've got yeah. med tech, biotech, all kinds of tech. We have, yeah. Yeah, there's a bit of everything in there. Good. Well, I think we should hear from them. So we're just going to go in a random order to the eight finalists, ask them a couple of questions, and then you're going to come back at the end and hopefully talk to Sir Greg Winter. So we're joined by Alberto and Alex from Alcius Bio. Thanks for joining us. Why don't we kick off with just uh, getting the big idea, what are you guys working on? So we're trying to develop the next generation of universal T-cell therapy. In recent years, cell therapies have emerged as a really effective way to treat blood cancers, which represent about 10% of the total cancer cases. 
but they're still ineffective for solid cancers, which represent over 90% of these total cases. And there's a number of key challenges in this space, three that we've identified in particular. And in the research that we've done in our lab with our PI, we've generated different solutions to each of these three problems as individual modules that we're then going to combine to make safe and effective therapies for solid tumours. Can you tell us a little bit more about what those three areas are? The first problem is T-cell exhaustion. So in solid tumours, T-cells become overstimulated and this drives them to a state where they shut down, they no longer engage the tumour properly and they can't fight it. The second is immunosuppression. So solid tumours are excellent at shaping their environment and recruiting cells to suppress the immune response. Uh, and then the third is question of targets. So most of our current CAR-T targets are also expressed on healthy cells elsewhere in the body, and this can lead to toxicities. So what we've done is we've developed first OptiDose technology, which uses precision dosing of transcription factors to prevent this overstimulation, and it creates a long-lived and functional T-cell that can fight against cancer for a longer period of time. The second is using secreted factors. We're calling this peptokine technology. And these factors can act both on the tumour to uh, inhibit its growth, but also to promote the immune response within the tumour. Uh, and then the last one is quite a recent innovation, which is a, a novel tumour target, which we believe has pan-cancer potential and eliminates the ability for the tumour to evade our attack. So this sounds like it has really exciting potential. Where are you in terms of the maturity of the technology and what hurdles do you need to cross to make this a reality? We've started as in the lab of Raul Richaudhuri. We are currently there as PhD students, uh, third-year PhD students. And at the moment, in the last couple of years, we, we've started these ideas when, when we joined the lab. In the last couple of years, we've started to really translate these ideas into animal models that we use a lot in, in our lab. And we like to, as soon as we have the idea, go into the animal model and test it. It's a bit of an aggressive model to pin down really from early on whether an idea has legs and, and it works. And the last couple of years, we've had that, did this happening with two of the three approaches that Alex described. We are currently working for the third one. We want to essentially finalize our PhDs in the coming months and combine that with our first fundraise, uh, pre-seed fundraise. Exciting times. And what are your roles? There are two of you here. What are your different roles in the, in the business? So uh, Alex will be a CEO of the, of the company. I'll be joining as CSO. We're obviously of a scientific background, so this is all a bit new to us, but I think we've had very complementary uh, strength, the both of us. I think Alex has picked up a lot of the business stuff incredibly quickly, way, way more quickly than me. Um, well, I've, I've been the person who has kind of spearheaded the scientific aspect and started some of the projects, and we really make a great team. And this is all under the supervision of, of Professor Raul Richoder, which is a world leader expert in, in cancer immunology. And he's very well connected, and he's a very brilliant scientist as well. So I think we're we are in a very good position. Sounds amazing. We wish you the best of luck for tonight. Thank you very much. So next up, we have Gwen and Tom from ProSpectral. So welcome to the podcast. And please tell us what it is that you do. Yeah, so I'm Tom. I'm the CTO of ProSpectral. And we are developing a novel imaging sensor technology for next generation materials identification cameras. And what industry specifically are you looking at there? The customers we're looking at are actually more machine vision companies. So these would be integrators and even startups that are working to bring imaging solutions to end users in a whole range of industries. For instance, agriculture, uh, looking at kind of drone-based imaging of crops, uh, mining exploration, looking at remote analytics, 
satellite building, so orbital imaging, which is increasingly being used for things like carbon credits validation and land use usage statistics, as well as potentially in the future healthcare. And the long-term vision is that this is a smartphone-compatible chip-based technology, and that is the potentially large exit further down the line. So to bring the technology to life for the listeners, am I correct in thinking that just by pointing a camera at something, for example, a rock, your technology can then analyze its components and what's inside it, etc.? Yeah, so our technology is similar to something called spectral imaging. And what spectral imaging does, it essentially extracts more information from light. So the way our eyes work and the way that cameras work to correspond to our eyes is that they simplify light into these three components, red, green, and blue. Spectral imaging basically drags out far more data from across the electromagnetic spectrum you know, than just those red, green, and blue components. And in doing so, it can tell us whole amount more information um, about the, the natural world. So as, as you say, what you might see in your image is instead of you know, the, the typical colors that we might see, you can bring out data that could tell you what materials you're looking at. For instance, you might have two rocks that look the same by eye, but by looking them at them under a spectral imaging camera, you have the data to say that one is made up of a particular mineral and the other is made up of something else. And you could then choose to false color that in any way you want uh, to kind of illustrate that. The point is that at each each pixel of the image contains a wealth of information compared to an ordinary image which just has these three components that are useful for reconstructing color in our brains. It's really interesting. And you, you talked about some of the applications for it. How did it come about as a business? Basically, we're all from uh, electrical engineering and we were kind of getting lots of coffees during COVID when you had to be outside and sitting in the cold. <laughs> um, we were having a conversation and Tom's uh, research is very much um, in spectral imaging, but not really about upscaling the technology. So not very applicable to industry, but I work in semiconductor manufacturing and looking at upscaling. So having those conversations with ourselves and our other two co-founders who are in optical engineering, we just thought it's seeing a, a market idea um, for lots of different applications, including rocks. Yeah, it's really exciting. All the very best. Thank you. Thank you. So, Ash, thanks for joining us. Your company is Biotrip Therapeutics. Can you give us a little idea about what you're up to? Yes, thank you for inviting me here. Well, Biotrip is an early stage therapeutics company. And uh, what we are doing is we are basically developing a novel therapy for bacterial infections. Uh, we have recently seen the effect of a single infection, what coronavirus did, and we're just about to get out of the pandemic. What we are noticing that there's something coming up in the future, which is current infections, the treatment we are using are becoming less and less effective. We call that resistant. And we see it in a lot of infections. People in media call them superbugs. And you hear about it in hospitals. Now, if you start thinking, why are we getting that? Why would they get resistance? Because what we have in terms of treatment is we have antibiotics. Antibiotics kill bacteria. If you try to kill them, they will try to resist you. It's an endless cycle. Where we come into place, we came with the idea that is there a way to clear the infection without actually causing resistance, without killing them. And there is, if you understand how infection starts, it starts with bacteria living like communities, like our cities. We call them biofilms. They stick to each other, stick to surfaces, and produce a matrix, a sticky slime to protect them. You see that in 80% of infections. What we are doing, we are developing the first clinical antibiofilm as an oral therapy. It's not an antibiotic. It does not kill, does not create resistance. It keeps them separated. If you keep them separated, you might not even need the treatment. Your immune system will take over. And if you need the treatment, it will be way, way more effective. 
It's really interesting. And like you say, the reliance on antibiotics, you know, we're not going to get away from from them not working as effectively. So is it correct that you're first of all focusing on UTIs? Obviously, as an early stage therapeutic company, we can't go into every single disease. So we ask people in the area, what is the biggest disease, the biggest disease where you see biofilms, the most people affected, and they say this UTIs. You're talking about 400 million people annually affected by UTIs worldwide, up to 50 percent of women are expected to catch UTIs. I spoke to a lot of urologists and it's really horrendous. And they would tell me like, oh yeah, once a woman catches it, it becomes recurrent because the antibiotics don't clear it. They don't clear it because you have the biofilm and you are obviously creating resistance. In, in a recent conference, when one urologist came to me and he said, do you know I give antibiotics for up to three years sometimes in order to clear the infection? That's crazy. You're just basically creating resistance. So it makes sense, but it's also a massive market. So there is a massive market there, but there is a massive clinical need. We are starting with UTIs. We will hopefully take it all the way into, into the market as an oral therapeutic, but we will later start addressing other infectious diseases. And where are you on the development kind of cycle? I mean, you would call it a TLR4, but it doesn't really apply in drug discovery. We are in preclinical. We are not in clinical stage yet. Uh, we are currently re- raising a, a small pre-seed round in order to actually kick the start preclinical studies. We think we are going to be in phase one within three years. And then obviously you have to go through clinical trials. Um, In terms of a plan, we are reliant on investment now, some grants, but we have spoken to some pharma companies and they're interested in potential partnership for clinical trials, which is probably what's going to happen down the line. That sounds really interesting. And um, we wish you the best of luck for tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you guys for inviting me. Thank you. So next up, we have Frank here from Ethicronics, and we know each other, so it's nice to see someone that, that I know. Welcome. Would you like to tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Yeah, thank you very much. So yeah, my name is Frank. Uh, we develop a software to ensure that your electronics hardware is not fake, not compromised, and also as green as possible. And you've kind of evolved this over the last few years, haven't you? Myself, I've been part in Cambridge uh, for eight years now. And uh, yeah, now developing the, the team, the tech, successful in uh, some uh, uh, grant funding lately. And uh, yeah, so just trying to put everything together. Obviously, I've seen your presentation and you talk about um, defense as an early market opportunity. You're on a defense-related accelerator, is that right? Yes, indeed. So we were part of the National Cybersecurity Center for Startups program based in Chatham, uh, three days a week for three months. Basically, they bring some startups that can solve part of the challenges we have in the UK. So we're trying to solve part of the operational technology problem. So basically making sure that any electronics you have in critical infrastructures is not fake or not compromised because it can have various different impact, as you can guess. Hmm. And where are you in the kind of um, the development cycle of the technology? How far away to market are you? We are still uh, early stage. Uh, we're at uh, TRL 4 level. But uh, our solution is software only. So uh, basically, we just got some funding to uh, accelerate much uh, faster right now. So we aim to have yeah, a full product uh, by the yeah, middle of next year. So you just talked about the Defence Accelerator. You've also been part, I believe, of the Accelerate program at Judge Business School. So I'm just interested to know, how do you balance being involved in those types of growth programs with actually setting up the business as well. Yeah, it was quite changing in terms of time. Of course, you need to put in, in the programs. Uh, you get a lot of feedback, so you need to find the, the time to actually integrate all the, the great feedback you can uh, get. 
But in the end, it was very good to be part of one very like uh, more technical, more like cyber-oriented uh, program based in Chatham, dif- like a different ecosystem as well. And uh, yeah, it was also good to be part of uh, Church Business School, having some uh, some f- feedback here and there. Now we we are bigger in terms of. Uh, people in terms of team. So basically, uh, uh, it would have been great to do the same program now, but you still uh, can integrate uh, all the feedback you, you got in the past. Well, all the best with your pitch. And it's nice to see you again. Thank you both for today. Thank you very much. Hayden, thanks for joining us. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Clarity Sensors? Hello, um, thank you for having me. So Clarity Sensors is a medical detector company aiming to transform medical imaging by making new, a next generation of low-dose X-ray detectors. With our proprietary detector, uh, developed what we call a photon counting detector, which is known as a paradigm-shifting technology in medical imaging, enabling significantly reduced dose to enable preventative routine diagnostic scans, as well as improved image quality to enable earlier disease detection. More imaging less dangerous imaging yep. opens up a massive opportunity for prevention and cure. Yes, exactly. So the idea would be if we think of, say, cancer screening programs, um, they are currently limited. Not everyone can, you can't have as many of them as you would like. But with our technology, hopefully we could in- increase the number of screening programs to enable earlier disease detection, but also to improve the actual image quality and allow clinicians to see, say, an early stage tumor at an earlier phase, and that will decrease this healthcare burden worldwide. Mm. So Hayden, have you yet worked out, you've obviously working on the technology, how are you going to take that to market? Because it must be quite, you know, the detection instrument market, Mm. I assume must be quite a small market, but I may be completely wrong. The X-ray detector market is generally dominated by the large original equipment manufacturers, so your Philips, Siemens, GE Healthcare, and they have around a 75% control of the market. But our go-to-market strategy would be to work with these OEMs um, to sign co-development deals and integrate our actual detector into their full X-ray detector systems. This is quite a, a proven business strategy in the area where all of these original equipment manufacturers either purchase or acquire companies which design the detectors to integrate into their um, already existing systems. And how long do you think it'll be till you're ready to start having those conversations or are you already in conversation? So we've had some preliminary conversations with one OEM, but more just on the scientific principle and basis of if it could be done. At the moment, we've got a proof of concept of the product, but we're now working on validation studies. And I think within the next few years, working on these demonstrations with these OEMs before um, signing co-development deals in general. The thing that I found really interesting from your presentation was you can actually retrofit your technology into existing equipment, which mm-hmm. obviously means, you know, a lot less wastage, you know, for the existing investment into all the equipment that hospitals, etc., have already purchased. Yeah, so the idea would be that our material is on commercially available chips or chips we would custom design. Um, and these chips can be directly like plug and played into the already existing systems. Even if it's not the case at the moment, over a long period of time, you could just maintenance will be simplified by just taking out one, say, defective pixel and putting them back in. Not only will it hopefully reduce wastage, but also simplify maintenance for hospitals and keep equipment actually running for longer. Yeah, that sounds really promising. So the best of luck tonight. Thank you very much. So next up, we have Hendrik from Cambridge Nucleomics. Welcome, Hendrik. Would you like to start by telling us a little bit about what you do? 
Yes, of course. Uh, hi, I'm Hendrik from Cambridge Nucleomics. We're a spin-out from the Kaiser Lab in West Cambridge at the Cavendish. And we are developing a one-hour sepsis test that finds the right treatment and that will save lives. Clearly a massive issue. So it sounds like it's really important work. How far along are you in the process of developing the technology? Yes, excellent question. We have been working on this uh, technology for over 10 years. Professor Ulrich Kaiser uh, is really the, the lead inventor on this. And he has first been working on this platform RNA detection technology. And we are now making this into a proper medical application. So that means we are now working on the assay development. And we have proof of concept. So we have mixed bacteria into blood, into animal blood as a first experiment. And we have then, you know, done the purification and, and analyzed the RNA and it's working well. So that was a really important milestone because most of our competing technologies that have tried to get into the market, they really struggle working with human samples because it is there, there's a lot that can inhibit the reaction that you need to do to detect the bacteria. And we don't need an actual chemical reaction. That's the new thing about our technology. And this is why we, we can save a lot of time, but also we don't have this hassle of things that can go wrong because we cut out these intermediate steps and so it's a new technology that really enables this yeah and this is what we are at the proof of concept stage so i'm somewhat reassured because i haven't heard the pitch unlike unlike james has um, so when i was looking up online earlier on it said that you've given yourself the mission of of getting all of this in place by 2025. And I'm thinking, crikey, this is new. And that's like, that's that's got to be a really huge target. But obviously, you've been working on this for a lot longer. So my, my question to you is, what do you think are the, going to be the biggest challenges of you getting this to market then? It's a very nuanced problem and a very complicated problem. Uh, sepsis is one of the biggest diagnostic markets, but there hasn't been a lot of well, there has been innovation, but nothing really carried through to the patient because the, the, the problem is that the solutions currently are either very quick or they tell you how to treat, but none of them can really do both and you need an answer within just one hour. So um, the, the challenge um, that we're facing at the moment is really having the funding to have five scientists at least to further develop the technology because we have proof of concept on a couple of uh, bucks but we need to stretch that to a, a large panel of 80 and that is just a lot of manual work and then we have to do you know the all the characterization so <laughs> you have to show that that it works for each of the 80 but you also have to show there's no cross reactivity and so on we just need more hands to get this done and for that we need funding well good luck with the competition today then thank you so, Ethan, thanks for joining us. Why don't you uh, tell us more about AngioGenius and what you're working on? Sure. So, AngioGenius is a generative AI ophthalmology company. So, we're based in Cambridge, but we initially had researchers at the University of Nevada and University of Michigan. So, it's a pretty international team. We use generative AI to detect eye disease better. And it sounds like it's got the potential for huge impact because you can move to a self-service model without uh, people needing to go to a, a specialist, a clinician, an optician. Explain to us like the benefits of the technology and how it might shake things up. Yep. So our technology, using generative AI, we're able to generate an image that's typically only being able to take take us with a $70,000 machine. And we're able to take it on your cell phone, for example. So this technology is extremely versatile, extremely adaptable. It could be used on a wide variety of cell phone types. And getting this really useful image, we're hoping that it can make a significant impact, not only commercially, but also helping reduce blindness around the world. 
that's great that you can do it on your standard phone. You don't have to have some specialist equipment. But how do you envisage you actually getting out to market? So initially, we're thinking of targeting ophthalmology companies and optometrists and selling it as a software as a service model where we have our technology and they just use a low cost image type and then they're able to just convert that to a more useful type. And then using the revenue we generate from that to produce an app and that app will be able to be used by anyone nearly that's not a specialist and they're able to generate those images in real time. You're very early in the stage of your journey. Where are you up to in terms of actually setting the company up and building out the company? We're very early in the company stage. We are um, still setting up the company right now, actually. We've done early validation studies of our technology, so we know it will work and we know it's very useful clinically. But next steps will be actually getting customers and the full company journey really will be new for me. And I guess you'll get quite a bit of that direction from things like the Accelerate program at The Judge, which I believe you're on the latest cohort of. Yes, that's correct. Yep. It started the last week, actually, and I'm learning so much and meeting really great people. So I'm really excited to see where this company is going to go. That's great. Well, we wish you all the best in the presentation today. Thank you very much. So last of all, last but not least, we have Melanie from Compound Hound. So Melanie, welcome. Would you like to tell us a little bit about your invention? Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be here today and meet you both. My invention, I worked on this over my PhD. I started off studying conduction in a material that you can make using lasers. And I've ended up with a electronic nose sensor. And that differs from a gas sensor in that the discrimination is via the data analysis rather than through the hardware itself so it's more versatile what will it actually help what what is it what is it trying to identify it was quite a difficult choice because the sensor reacted to so many different compounds i initially i started off looking at a medical application and i think there's huge potential to make an impact here so i was looking first at a uh, using the sensor in uh, incubators in neonatal wards in the end, I U-turned from this. It was actually after going to one of the Trinity Bradfield lectures. It enabled me to get a better understanding of the kind of hurdles that are involved with engaging with the NHS and healthcare in general. Because of that, I picked an easier target, one where there's also an opportunity to make some impact, but it, there's less regulations confining it and there's a faster returns that can be seen. So. I'm targeting food spoilage. The social reasons for doing this are that you can reduce the carbon footprint per kilogram of food that's arriving to the customer. And there's with growing population and more droughts, like this is this is something that you need to be mindful of. I've had a, a good means to enter this because I've been able to partner with a company that's involved in distribution of foods around the UK. So how will that actually reduce food waste? There are many points from production to when the food actually arrives in, in your basket that food can spoil and when it does it will cause other, other foods to spoil uh, in, in the vicinity and so by identifying the source of the spoilage before it can spread through that you can reduce the food waste. My first customer has, has commented that that's, that's a really difficult task to achieve. At the moment, they go through their, their food crates and that it's very difficult to really um, spot the locus of uh, this type of issue. And so the, the maximum spoilage that they're able to limit 
as 5% at the moment, and that's been a huge battle. So hopefully with some other technological means of identifying this, it can drive waste down further. Thanks so much and, and, and good luck for tonight. Okay, thank you. We thought the best way to make the announcements of the winners was actually to bring you live to the actual award ceremony by Sir Greg. So let's hand over to Sir Greg and hear who the winners are. So first of all, let me announce the overall winner. The overall winner is Cambridge Nucleomics. Congratulations. So uh, next is Compound Hound. It's terrific. And finally, the, the final prize is the Hellings Prize, which is a project that involves students in a significant way, and that is um, Biotrip Therapeutics. And that is a wrap for this year's Trinity Bradfield Prize. Today's show was produced by Carl Homer of Cambridge TV and supported by our media partner, Business Weekly. The Cambridge Tech Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms and on cambridgetechpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star review. It will really help others discover the show. If you are a startup looking to grow in Cambridge, the Bradfield Centre offers a range of flexible membership packages which put you in control of your office and homeworking mix. There's a vibrant, collaborative atmosphere, on-site cafe, plenty of green outside space and regular member social events. For more information, visit bradfieldcentre.com or call 01223 919600. Cambridge Science Centre provides children and young people with positive community-based STEM experiences to raise aspirations and illuminate STEM careers. We're supported by a collaborative ecosystem of organisations and individuals and we'd love you to join us. Find out more by contacting me at Rebecca Porter at cambridgesciencecentre.org.